Hey everyone. So I think if you've been in the sort of the cabins of the seven circles of hell through trauma or whatever, um, the great deficit is love. That's all. It's not that complicated. Um, whatever you went through, whatever your trauma, it's the absence of love. And it is very much like when you do ayahuasca, it's, it's like um, the more she dissolves you, the more you become like a jellyfish, transparent. And in that transparency is lodged all the dark, right? So it's like looking through, you know, the transparency into that darkness. And I mean, I don't know how it hides, but it does. And it hides in your system. Um, so in all this demonic shit show, I think it feels to me, when I look at it, I look at it like just a, looking under a rock and there's a whole bevy of insects, you know. That's what it's like when you're, you know, you go in and you actually... And it is, it's a form of captivity, right? It, if it happens when you're young, you're captured there. And the great thing about the medicine or the ayahuasca is that it gives you the whole lay of the land of all the characters and their motivations and, and how you got trapped in that web of shit. So again, the... The, the absence or the deficit is love, is non-existence. And it's, it's, it's like the captivity of insects of another, it's like a predatory thing, like they take your soul, right? Like somebody comes out and, you know, just walking all along like innocently and you're ambushed. I've talked about it before, like being shanghai and you're kind of dragged into the seven circles of hell, whatever that happens to be, whether they hurt you, they don't love you, they whatever you, I don't know. In the end, you know, love is protection, love is caring, love is safety, love is the respect and value of you. And in that soil, so you you know you you flourish and you blossom, and if in the absence of that is just you know a parched desert. And my um, my way of dealing with it was to create an illusion of where I wasn't, right? So you know upon the sewer, a grand operatic landscape of you know forest and fauna and niceness I was just you know <clears throat> I just smothered you know the dark with a projection of light now that was useful for survival you know but wasn't useful long term because eventually it wouldn't serve you or me, right? It doesn't serve us. 
but it's useful at that moment of capture, right? You have to survive. You're young, you're little, you're helpless, you're powerless. So in my strategy was to reinvent and project what I <coughs> wanted them to be, which they weren't. So in this, um, but you're living in this unbelievable lie and conflict. And so inside I was smothered with demons and all their dark energy and all their abuse and everything. But on the surface, you know, I had, I was, I was accepting it. I was accepting them. I was, you know, um, glorifying them. It was a horrific contradiction and irreconcilable, right? But it worked. I mean, inside I was paralyzed by the darkness, by the horror, which, by the way, there's even more now, right, to see. So to drop that veil... You know, as a child, it's absolutely terrifying. You've got to say, oh, my God, my parents sent me out to be abused or hurt me or whatever. It's, it's impossible to live there. So if you're a child and you're in some horrible situation, you are attempting to connect and bond and build some kind of relationship with, you know, the despicable and the unnameable. Because <clears throat> you have to. And thereby, you know, abandon your soul and refuse your own divinity. It's a very complicated thing. In order for you to fully give up your projections or your versions or your strategies, you have to fully see them for who they are. So because I'd completely, you know, whitewashed them and you know, built a whole version of them. <clears throat> you know, I had a very firm projection. It was a very firm belief that, you know, I was connected to them in this way that was loving. It was nothing. It was a lie. It was a pure, pure lie. Fiction. But because my survival was so preeminent, right, and it is, if you're little, you have to survive. You have to find ways of surviving. I had to wrap this, you know, shit in, you know, in gold. <coughs> just because I wrapped it in gold didn't mean it went away. I just lived with it, right? I just, um, I made, I accommodated it so I could survive. You know, in that contradiction, you are forever uncomfortable. And that comes up whether it's in panic attacks or <clears throat> anxiety, depression, whatever. It's all, um, you know, it's like the fumes coming out of the stench. It's like, it's wrong, but you don't know why it's wrong because you can't get your ego to tear it down, right? So you're in prison, <clears throat> you've built a survival mechanism, but that survival mechanism is actually a vault. It's actually your prison. It's a survival mechanism, but it's a prison. Because, yes, you're surviving, and yes, you're imprisoned by the dark. 
and you're still paralyzed because you're not moving from there. You've built a whole person um, connected to, you know, a paralytic, traumatized state in which you are terrorized and in which you are protecting the dark. So it may seem like, oh, great, I'm surviving, but you are literally just doing that, surviving. And in that place, abandoning your divinity and your growth and your blossoming and accepting this paralyzed, imprisoned place. Of course, you don't know that. You just think, I'm safe here. These are potentially my parents. They're not. So all of that structure is collapsed by the medicine. And the way she does it is she pulls, she dissolves. She shows you the medicine. I talk about the she at the I.O. She shows you the truth of them. You can't see it because you're so enmeshed with them. So as she separates you out, you see who they are, and that's untenable. You'll fight it. Of course you'll fight it. But eventually it's the whole... You know, again, I talk about like the Buddhists talk about the elephant and you're blind and you're asked to, you know, touch the tail and then the leg and then eventually you get to see the whole Michigas. And remember, you've really bonded here. <coughs> As you've bonded, you've... You've given so much legitimacy to this thing. And then you have to leave it because it's like living in poison and leaving and living, you know, as a prisoner. And it takes a while for all of it to dissolve and for you to understand and for it to all really surface. And it's a process. And I don't know how much, you know, how much garbage is in there. I don't know how much more is there. I mean, I'm here till the end, right? I'm here till it's all completely emptied out. But in... But if there's one thing that's, you know, pertinently obvious, that becomes more and more obvious, is this... um, is love, is, is the essence of love. Um, and that, that lack, it's like having no water, it's like having no fuel, it's like nothing, can, it's like you can't move without petrol, you can't move without love. You can't spread your wings if you haven't been loved. You can't adventure, you can't take in the full abundance of life if you're living without love and you can have all the toys you want and all the Ferraris and it just it will never ever um, replace that flow which is love that knowing that deep knowing of love is in your system so 
there are so many lessons. And of course, you know, they say that you chose the people that you were going to be born to so you could learn the lesson. Yeah, Again, I must have been either high or fucked up at that point because really I could have done without like living in a fucking sinking Titanic for the loss. But anyway, it is what it is. And um, yeah, to live without love is, I mean, forget all the horror and all the abuse and everything else. It's just, yeah, it's death. There is no life without love. And it is the nectar, it is the holy grail, it is the everything that moves everything. It makes everything softer, smoother, easier. You know, you can really blossom into the full divinity of your orchid or your whatever it is that you show up as, right? when the light of love is reflected on you. In the limitation, in the shutting down, in the abuse, in the physical, in the hurt, there's a forgetting of what this divine essence is. And that is the dark. So, I was born into hell, and then in hell I you know, smothered it and projected the love that I'd never known on it. I projected and created people that didn't exist. But I was still in hell. It was literally, you know, a life raft for a while. But eventually that would sink I had to see the nine circles of hell, or the seven circles of hell. I had to full on see the dark, the horror of it, the bleakness, the lovelessness of it. So I could appreciate love. And it was in fact love, which is what the ayahuasca came with you know, extraordinary continents of love, mountains, oceans of love, that gave me the ability and the support to actually see the dark. I would still be recreating and inventing those people and living in the dark, not knowing that I was inventing it. Had I not had this incredible army of love, of love warriors, I suppose, what do you want to call them? Of guides and spirits. That, you know, gave me the support and love to see the truth of the dark. And in the end, you know, I always imagined, oh, you know, peasants in the countryside, lovely. And they are, you know, lovely and loving and all this stuff, this invention. I'd had the experience of that, but it's not where I grew up. These were calculating sort of imposters, right? 
There were agendas. There was, it was all for gain and power. Very Faustian and medieval. They would use anything and everyone in their path for their own gain. And the funny thing is that in my eulogy to my parent when he died was that he was this most humble person. It's an absolute lie. Again, it was an invention. So the devil shows up without love and the agenda of the dark is power to enrich and embolden itself at the mercy of whatever's... I mean, it doesn't care. It'll use whatever it's in its path. And in its path, it happens to be my mother and then me. And we were used to embolden and to, you know, enrich his power. He would do anything, sell his own child, you know, marry a woman he didn't love. Um... So he would get to her family so that he would be in, you know, powerful, whatever that means, right? Apparently. And we see this all day, every day in the world, right? They'll, you know, run over anyone, take anything, whatever, you know, rape, pillage, whatever, in the name of, of power. Of conquest. I would say not so great. <laughs> it's that hungry ghost syndrome, you know. There's never enough. I'll never have enough. I'll never own enough, be enough. Because I don't know who I am. And in the end... <clears throat> you know, divinity is, is where it's at, right? We're all this... Every single thing that moves, breathes, plant, flower, bird, is the outpouring of this divinity. In our separation from that is hell. The need to acquire, the need to become, the need to shapeshift in the hopes that someone will recognize me as something powerful. We are all abundantly powerful. There's really nothing to become So, <clears throat> facing the dark is to learn, is to, you know, find love again, is to find peace and calm and your center in a place which has never known love. You know, as you get to know love, as you get to feel love, as you get to see it, and as you expel the dark, you come home to the center, right? You come home to this huge, massive universe. You become one again. You become one with everything. Wholeness. That's the greatest power. Bye.